Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. My favorite, it's Judd's Hockey Show. And it is another edition of Judd's Hockey Show with a side of Declan Goff, of course. And joining us on this show, our friend Jess Myers from the Rink Live and uh, Forum News as we discuss um, the return of hockey, which is hopefully, if uh, the coronavirus permits Jess Myers, Getting closer and closer. Uh, appreciate the time. Are you confident, sir? We'll start you off with this one. Are you confident at this point that we are going to have hockey in uh, late July, early August from the NHL? Well, the state of New York uh, just today announced uh, a mandatory two-week quarantine from people coming into that state from a bunch of different areas around the country. So I think we can eliminate New York as one of the hub areas that, that the <laughs> NHL is going to have. Yes. Uh, but, but I'm relatively confident we're going to see hockey in some form. I mean, I do think, uh, you know, I'm not a huge Gary Bettman fan, but I do think they did their homework on this one and found, hey, there's some way we can get going in some form here um, to give people what they're just dying for. Let's be honest. So we all want to see a conclusion to this season, we all want to see some actual games being played, even if it's uh, in empty buildings. You just said the magic words because, Jess, I never thought in a thousand years I would say this. Um, R.E. Gary Bettman, I agree completely. I, I think the NHL, and look, I, you and I could sit here and go through, through the flaws of from the time that Bettman took over, but I really think that this league among sports leagues in going about its plan to start up and you know what it might it might not i don't know but just the execution of the plan has been as good as anything in fact i would say better that i have seen Bettman do since he became commissioner and i will say this too hockey has a few advantages that other sports don't have baseball basketball come to mind where everybody touches one object with their bare hands Hockey doesn't do that. Yep. You have you have gloves on. You, you know, you touch a puck, but it's the end of the stick. Now, granted, hockey's a contact sport. Guys are going to be bumping into each other. Guys are going to be breathing in close proximity to one another. But I think there are steps they can take to prevent that. I mean, it sounds crazy, but we've even talked, seen some talk about uh, full-phage kind of cage masks yes. with some kind of covering to, to limit the, uh, the amount of breathing guys are doing near each other. Now, with that said, here's my question. Mm-hmm. Um, let's say the, the season starts up and let's say two days into it to pick a name at random, Ryan Suter tests positive for COVID. Uh, what happens then? Do you just remove him? Do you have to isolate the whole team? You know, I, that's, 
that's the question that we've got to ask ourselves is, is how is this going to be affected? Um, these are athletes. They're in good shape. They're generally the kind of people that don't uh, have a, a, a huge problem with COVID. They're the kind of people that can survive it, yes. uh, unlike the more vulnerable populations. But those are the questions that uh, I, I think we still have to answer because inevitably, I think in a locker room situation with a lot of people in cro- close proximity, yep. we're going to see uh, we're going to see this run through some cases. We've already seen uh, a name like Austin Matthews, who's reportedly tested positive. Um, and what's that going to what's that going to mean? And Jess, as, as we both know, when it comes to spreading germs, hockey is the worst. There is oh, no absolutely. there is no question. You know, locker rooms protocol. Um, th- this is going to sound gross, but body fluids being shared as far as, as in rooms and things like that, hockey. So I'm with you, and here's my concern. My concern, to your point, is not the players. Because I think, I think, and I'm not positive, I think the players um, would be okay. My concern, though, is do you have to draw a line on coaches, assistant coaches, and support staff as far as ages go because the one thing is, God forbid, a coach get, gets this and does get sick, and you can't assure me that that person is not going to die. Yes, absolutely. I'm you with know, you. I, I, look at the, uh, you know, again, I'll pick a name at random. Joel Quenville is not a young man. Yeah. You know, he, 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 we, we've got some coaches who are, who are older folks, and, and these are the people that are more, uh, more vulnerable to this. You've got trainers. You've got support staff who are uh, the, the kind of people that, you know, aren't in tip-top physical shape like the players, that's where the concern lies. The other concern that people have brought up, and it's, it's a legitimate concern, uh, what's the ice going to be like if you're playing in Las Vegas in the middle of the summer when it's 107 degrees outside mm-hmm. every day? You know, so a lot of question marks, but I do like the fact that we're moving forward at least, that, that we've got some kind of plan in place to at least return. Here in the Twin Cities, we've seen – more and more ice arenas opening up. We've seen protocols in place. I mean, I talked to the folks up at the Super Rink in Blaine. You know, they've got a system where, yep, the ice is open. It's limited to 10 people at a time on the ice. Uh, you can only enter the building 10 minutes before your ice time. When your ice time is over, you have to be out of the building five minutes later. So let's face it, you're doing a lot of dressing and undressing in your car. Yep. Um, but they've got a plan in place, and people are skating. So it's at least encouraging to see some kind of normal life returning. So g- give me your best guess. Uh, hub hub uh, towns that are going to house these uh, two um, tournaments, basically. Vegas and do you think Toronto? you think Vancouver? Edmonton? I mean, let, let, let's be honest. Uh, the NHL is run by Toronto. I just see it going to Toronto yeah. somehow. Now that raises another question because the Canadian government has been very clear that their border is closed until at least July 21st, and they may extend it beyond that. I mean, this is a huge issue in northern Minnesota, uh, Lake of the Woods and these border areas. People trying to get to their cabins can't get there through Canada right now. Um, so, so we're seeing that firsthand here in Minnesota. But uh, I think one way or another, they'll find a way to put it in Toronto. You know why, why though, Jess? They can't get to their cabins because they're not hockey players. <laughs> my my guess is if you have a bunch of folks who say I play in the National Hockey League, that um, Canada is going to say, you know what, we will we will waive our rules for you. That's my guess. I I think you're right. I think Toronto gets this thing. And so here's so here's what I would do though, because there are obviously not going to be fans at these arenas uh, for the two conferences. 
I would actually flip them, and I would take Vegas and the Western people and put them in Toronto, and I would put the Eastern people in Vegas based on the fact that then nobody can complain about any type of, of advantage. Sure. That would make some sense. I mean, who cares, um, right? And, and again, since we're all Gary Bettman fans now, that makes total sense that they would be progressive enough to, to do that, right? Absolutely. What the hell happened here? I, how are we having a? How are two guys who are fifty or so having a conversation about Gary Bettman doing a really good job? And easily the worst commissioner in pro sports now is Rob Manfred, and Gary Bettman is not even close. And let's be honest, you know, you and I kind of came of age hockey wise uh, when Gary Bettman came on the job, and two months later, a franchise in one of the cornerstone hockey markets in America announced it was going to move to Texas, and Gary's reaction was, eh, nothing I can do. He did. He, I did he go back. He did He did try to stop it, but he couldn't. But, I, I mean, he's just he, – he has overseen so many what I would consider uh, dark days in, in hockey, right? I mean, you, lo- you lost the Stanley Cup final. You lost an entire season. And then your league came back in, what, six years subsequently after that, actually had another lockout. Um, so Gary has been in charge of a lot of things that are Gary's fault. Looking, looking back on my tweets from about this time of year in, in, in previous years, yes, uh, I saw one just a couple of weeks ago where the Chicago Blackhawks won the Stanley Cup. I think it was, what, 2015, something like that. Yep. And Gary Bettman, before he hands over the Stanley Cup, says, it's, it's been an amazing run. We've had three of these in the last six years. And I honest to God thought he was talking about lockouts. <laughs> I, didn't think, I didn't think he was talking about Blackhawks uh, cup win. Yes. But, uh, yeah. But yeah, that's, that's one way or another going to be his legacy when, if, and when he finally steps down is uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of labor unrest and, and a lot of franchise relocation. Uh, he, he will get credit for the kind of the Sunbelt expansion, which has been, you know, with mis- mixed success, let's be honest. Yep. Some franchises have done pretty well. And then we have you know places like Arizona and South Florida where they still struggle mightily at the box office but uh yeah interesting legacy for a guy who's been there you know let's face it he's almost been there 30 years now that's crazy Jess, what do you think is going to happen with uh with seattle who's supposed to enter the fold here do you think the expansion draft still happens around a year from now do you think they still come into the fold 21 22 are, are what's your gut telling you if, if seattle's going to be able to enter on time like we previously thought before covid hit i think they're going to enter on time i just think there's too much money invested right now to, to put the brakes on that now, it's interesting, Declan, that you bring up the expansion draft because it was 20 years ago this week that the Wild and the Blue Jackets, you know, drafted a whole bunch of cast-offs that, that made up their first teams. And, uh, you know, there, there was just not much there for them. In sharp contrast to that, we had a couple years ago when Vegas got, to, you know, for a $500 million expansion yeah. fee, Vegas got to put together a team that went to the Stanley Cup Finals that year, their first year in existence. I think we will see some sort of middle ground. I don't think the owners, the, the other 30 owners were real happy with seeing, you know, Vegas take uh, some pretty good players off of their teams and make a Stanley cup final run in their first season. So I think we will see some tweaks to that expansion draft system that uh, Seattle will have a good team, but I don't think they're going to be a playoff team in year one. I, I think we may revert to what we more normally think of as an expansion roster. My advice to GMs, don't make two for one packages to protect some guy though. That that was the problem, right? I, including right. here. It's like we might lose Charlie Coyle. Oh my god, no, just uh take Halla and Tuck and we'll trade you one of those guys. That was some of the most um 
uh, reactionary, poorly thought out, and it, it was what? It was the Florida Panthers, I believe, did the same thing. The Wild. Yep. There were like three or four teams that were like, we can't lose this one player. It's like, no, you'd be better off losing that one player than giving the Golden Knights two guys who were going to and did ultimately help them for at least a year, if not more. It's, it's kind of fun thinking back to some of these expansion drafts. I, I wrote a story oh, just this week. Yes. Uh, you know, 20 years ago, Darby Hendrickson, playing for the Vancouver Canucks at the time, Minnesota kid, Mr. Hockey winner, is up in his cabin uh, north of Duluth, and he gets a call, hey, you're a member of the Minnesota Wild now. And, and talking to him, I said, you must have been delighted. You get to come home. You get to play in front of the home fans. You get to play in St. Paul where you played in the state tournament, all of that. Yep. And he was very honest. You know, Darby's a stand-up guy, and he's a thoughtful guy. And he said, yeah, there was that. But he said, I'll be honest, there was some real trepidation because, A, Vancouver was a team on the rise. I really liked being in Vancouver. I was playing an increasing role there. And then with an expansion team, you just don't know. And he says, are we going to win 10 games this year? I mean, what's it going to be like? <laughs> you know, and you know, I, of course, have these visions that he's going to be the next Neil Broughton, you know, the hometown hero playing for the hometown team. And he kind of put that to rest. He said, okay, let's be honest. There will never be another Neil Broughton. He was, uh, he was a one-of-a-kind thing. But, but he did like the fact that uh, Darby admitted coming to a team where he could play more of a role in the offense, he could be more of a goal scorer instead of the – the third and fourth liner that he'd been in places like Toronto and Vancouver when he played previously. So, you know, just, just a weird, interesting time when, when expansion drafts happen. And the other thing that, that Darby brought up, you know, you sit in the locker room with the Minnesota wild for the first time and you're looking around and you're thinking, these are all guys who played for teams that didn't think they were good enough to necessarily hang on to. These were all guys who were left unprotected. Yep. And there's kind of that chip on the shoulder feeling like, you know, Hey, you know, I wasn't good enough to be on your protected list. We'll see what it's like now, you know, now that I'm with a, a bunch of like-minded individuals. Speaking of that list, didn't um, didn't the, the Wild briefly have the rights to two goaltenders, one being Chris Terreri and one being Mike Vernon, Jess, if I'm not mistaken? That is correct. I had forgotten that myself, but, uh, but that was an interesting part of that draft. In fact, the first ever pick in that expansion draft, Rick Tabaracci, who, goalie who played, I think, pretty much everywhere in the 90s, Yes. Uh, he was the first pick by Columbus, of course, never played for Columbus, but it was it was a bargaining chip. And, you know, going back 20 years, some of the stuff you talk about that happened with the Vegas draft was happening 20 years ago uh, as well. I remember the San Jose Sharks sent the Wild a couple of pro- uh, picks or a couple of prospects, basically with the agreement that we'll give you these guys as long as you leave Evgeny Nabokov alone. You don't draft our, our prize up-and-coming goalie because we have to protect these two guys. We can't protect this uh, this hot prospect, yep. but we don't we don't want to lose him, so we'll give you a couple draft picks in return. Interesting. I forgot about that one. Yep, just a, a lot of cool... And you know what, Jess? Yeah. To your point, though, if Dar- Dar- what Darby thought should have been c- correct, and this is the one thing, and the Wolves and Wild made the same fundamental mistake in in their first hire as expansion teams of coaches. I love Jacques, right? I mean, Jacques was a great quote. Jacques was, as far as I can tell, a good guy, and Jacques was a good coach. But the Minnesota Wild, I've always contended for those first few years, instead of in year three going to the Western Conference Finals, if their point totals had been something like 22, 30, and 28, and you kept getting high draft picks, I would change that as an expansion team, every time, uh, instead of, of basically, and Mussy and Lemaire had the same flaw. They couldn't stand to lose, and they could find a way to win with not great players. And in both cases, teams overachieved, and it was fun as a short-term sugar-high burst. 
I think the way the Ottawa Senators did it when they came in the league in the 90s is the perfect way. Be as horse bleep as possible during your honeymoon period. Okay. Can I give you a three-word counterpoint to that? Of course. The Atlanta Thrashers. You got to do that, it right. You got to do it. Yeah, that that's true. I just would that rather was have as bad a team yeah. as you will ever see the first three years. They got all these high draft picks yep. and just did nothing with them. You're right. And you got to do it right. It worked out good in the end for me because I was a Winnipeg Jets fan, and the Jets are back now. But uh, you know, I, I I look at a team like Atlanta that tried to do things that way, yep. build slowly, uh, get the draft picks. You know, draft Patrick Stefan number one overall. <laughs> Goodness knows. You know, he had all those concussion problems and just never seemed to have the health. I mean, they had Ilya Kovalchuk. They had uh, the foundation of a good team and A, could just never get going on the ice and B, could never get going, you know, never get a buy-in with the fans in Atlanta, which I still contend not not totally their fault because I think Atlanta is the worst sports town in America, but that's just my opinion. Okay, it's a good point. I still would prefer to take my chances, though, with high draft picks as opposed to um, being being too relevant too quickly. But I will say this, to your point about Atlanta, Georgia, baby, how do you lose not one but two professional teams, and I know that they were both hockey teams, to Western Canada? Or at least one to Western Canada and one to Winnipeg. You are right about that. That takes some real work to move a team out of the United States and put two teams in Canada. I got to say that's that's going to be Atlanta's legacy forever. It's, you, you not only lost a team to Winnipeg, you also lost a team to Calgary. This is not like uh, you know teams moving to Los Angeles, which is a huge growing market. Correct. So yeah, interesting. Hey, hey, your pick. Uh, if it does begin, Wild Canucks uh, three out of five qualifying round series. Who do you like? You know, as much as I'd like to believe in this Wild team and the fact that they played so well the last uh, dozen games or so of the season mm-hmm. under Dean Evison, I just think Vancouver's got too many young weapons. So I'll, I'll go with the Canucks in five. I think it'll be a good series, but but. Uh, you know, they, they've been through the doldrums in Vancouver, and I think this is really a franchise on the rise again. You know, they, we, we all thought they had that window of opportunity eight, nine years ago where they came so close to winning their first Stanley Cup. Uh, you know, they had to kind of cut bait on those guys, and I think they're uh, on the upswing now. Jess, what, what's going on with the uh, Gopher hockey team? I saw they released a hype video this afternoon. Uh, are, are players going to be allowed to go on the ice? Are, are there optional captain skates happening right now? What, what's the latest going on at Mariucci? Guys are skating, uh, not at Mariucci, because you know, talking to the folks who run the uh, athletic facilities over there, campus is officially closed until July 1st, so they can't even think about reopening for another couple weeks yet or, or putting in an ice sheet. And interestingly enough, I've learned a lot about the ice-making process, like how, how quickly you can get up and running. It's generally about 72 hours, I've learned. So once they get the green light to, to put ice in either Mariucci or, or Ritter Arena, excuse me, 3M Arena at Mariucci, got to be corporate all the time. Um, <laughs> Damn it, Jess. Yeah, yeah, then we'll see that kind of start to get in motion. But, you know, don't kid yourself. Players are out there skating. Uh, you know, they're getting ice time at, at other places. They're getting together. Um, it will be very interesting to see what this Gopher Hockey roster looks like when they finally announce their full recruiting class for the coming year because, you know, as opposed to last year when they brought in a dozen new faces, uh, aren't a lot of new faces coming in on this team because they didn't lose much. You know, they lost 
two mainstay defensemen, and they lost one forward who wasn't very uh, used a whole lot. Now, they just uh, announced, uh, well, they didn't announce it, but we found out. I, I wrote a story about it just a couple days ago. Garrett Wade, another uh, forward who is going to be a junior, has entered the transfer portal, so it looks like he won't be on the roster, which uh, you know gives Bob Mosco an opportunity to bring in maybe one or two young forwards. He's already announced he's going to bring in three young defensemen, so they're going to be pretty green back on the blue line, but uh, as opposed to last year when it was so new and, and such a different roster, they really have a nice core in place coming back. Because Yeah, and in fact, I, I uh, went to a game, I think, uh, right before the stoppage uh, came, Jess Myers, and it seemed like this team and program was definitely on a positive track and and th- that there was certainly anticipation to see how, how they would do in the uh, conference playoffs. So it seemed to me like there was... Um, an uptick that I think a lot of impatient people expected under Motsko last year, which didn't necessarily take place, but looked like it was uh, a definite positive work in progress, if that's phrasing it right. They went through a really rough patch in the first half of last season. You kind of knew they would because they were just so young in so many key areas. It was interesting. I went back and looked at some of the video I shot with Bob Motsko early in the season. And after the first game of the year, they're at Colorado College. They've got a lead. Uh, they cough off that lead in the third period. They wind up losing the game. I think it was 3-2 to two on a power play goal by Colorado College late. And Bob Motzko says after the game, we're killing penalties and we're killing penalties, and we just ran out of veterans. I had to put freshmen out there to kill that penalty, and it just didn't work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, y- you think of that risk. You know, a bunch of rookies playing their first game, and here they are having to kill a penalty on the road in the third period of a, of a tie game. Um, by the end of the season – you wouldn't even think twice about that because those freshman defensemen especially had grown into that role. Um, you know, this was a, a decent gopher team, but you think about how bad things were at times in the first half of the season. They had a 14-game stretch uh, prior to Christmas where they won two games. I mean, you knew they were going to take their lumps, but it was really rough. Then they turn it around in the second half, and they go into the final game of the regular season. If they win that game, they win a share of the Big Ten title. Um, you know, they wind up losing to Michigan and, and finished in a tie for second. Mm-hmm. But, you know, a, a pretty incredible turnaround, I have to think. And with that kind of veteran uh, group coming back, I think that they've got to be right in the mix for the Big Ten title this year. Odds that we play uh, uh, college hockey in 2021, and if the answer is yes, do we have fans in the stands? What do you uh, think? I, I would say 80% odds that we play college hockey in some form. I would say about 50% odds that we have fans in the stands. And I'll say this as well. Uh, the non-conference schedules that teams have announced uh, in the last uh, month or two yep. are not going to look like that once the actual schedule comes <laughs> out. I mean, we've already seen, for example, the Canadian colleges have announced they're not going to play any sports until January 1st. Mm-hmm. So that uh, October 1st game that you always had against the University of Alberta or the University of Lethbridge or, you know, some Canadian school, that kind of seemed to be the, the annual exhibition game was against the Canadian college. Those just aren't going to happen. The other thing I would gonna, was going to say is if you have non-conference games on your schedule that involve getting on a plane, yeah. I don't see a lot of those happening as well. I, I think there's going to be some, some scrambling of non-conference schedules. Uh, the Gophers were scheduled Thanksgiving weekend to go out to Boston for a, a non-conference pair against, I believe, Harvard and Northeastern, I would be very surprised if those games happen. I think you're going to see more of, uh, you know, the Bemidji States of the world getting on the schedule for one or two games. Uh, you know, the local stuff where you just have to get on a bus. Now, an interesting caveat to that, Long Island University, a month or two ago, 
surprised everyone in the world and announced we're adding varsity hockey for next year. They didn't have an arena. They didn't have a coach. They didn't have a roster. They're putting all of that in place now yeah. uh, out, out on Long Island, out near Uniondale, you know, where the, where the Islanders play. They all of a sudden have a Division One hockey program. People said, you're crazy. You can't do this in a pandemic. You're never going to get teams on your schedule. Well, with the way things are shaping up, this may be a genius move because they're a bus ride away from just about every school on the East Coast. And if non-conference schedules are suddenly scrambled and you need to pick up games and Long Island University is sitting there, you're picking them up in a hurry, I would think. Who's their team? Like, who are their players then? They're, they're finding a lot of guys in, like, the Alberta Junior Leagues. They've picked up a couple commitments from Minnesota. It's going to be like Slapshot, Jess. They're going to have a bunch of goons from Canada. <laughs> but Ogletorp. They're, uh, they're going to play at one of the Islanders' uh, practice rinks, which has a couple thousand seats, which is probably perfect for a startup. But, you know, college hockey's delighted. You've got a team in the New York City market for the first time in a long time. And, again, they're a bus ride away from Boston. They're a bus ride away from all the New York schools. They're a bus ride away from you know, Princeton, and you think of those places. Yep. So the, the timing could be really good for them. Last thing for you, sir. You've got to help me out here. When Don Lucia stepped down as gopher coach, um, I said to myself, well, that's going to be it. Don's going to go to Alaska with his wife. Uh, we are never going to hear from Don again, uh, and, and he'll be very happy about that. How on earth are we talking now about the Don being the commissioner of the CCHA? I am completely confused. Of all the jobs that I would have not predicted him to take, commissioner of any league probably would have been near the top of my list. Let's put it this way. If you look at Don Lucia's resume, he is a perfect guy for this job. He's been on the NCAA Hockey Tournament Committee. He's been a coach at a Division II school, a Division III school, and a Division I school. He's spent a year as an administrator at the University of Minnesota. So resume-wise, he is the perfect person for this job. Now, Knowing Don Lucia's personality like you do and I do, you're absolutely right. It doesn't seem like a fit for him because he was never one who looked for the spotlight during his time coaching the Gophers. Uh, you know, there, there was one theory that one of the reasons he left Colorado College, which is a small market where he was the big show in town to come to the University of Minnesota, is because he could be a big fish in a much, much bigger pond and could kind of disappear like he had a tendency to do. So I don't see that part of it, but I will say this. Winters in Alaska are really long, and uh, you know I, I think last winter, that first full winter he spent up up in Alaska, and and we're not talking Anchorage, which is a city. He's uh, two and a half hours outside of Anchorage in a small town on on the Kenai River, just a beautiful, beautiful setting. He sends me pictures of the salmon they catch, literally right in their backyard. But he admitted hopping in the car a few times and driving up to Anchorage to go to college hockey games. I, I think he really missed it. You know, and, and at 61 years of age, you think, okay, perfect time to retire and kind of fade off into the sunset. But yep. he's, he's looking for a new challenge, and, and good for him. I mean, again, resume-wise, they couldn't have hired anybody better. He based here then or where? He said he's going to spend, you know, Alaska is his home, but he's going to spend most of the winter in their home that they have in the Twin Cities, the, the place he lived where he was coaching the Gophers. Gotcha. They held on to that because – all four of his children are in this area now, and I think it's up to five grandchildren now. So uh, they spend a fair amount of time in the Twin Cities anyway, visiting with the grandkids and uh, providing some babysitting and all that. So uh, Don said it's going to be just like when he was recruiting. He's going to be hopping in the car, driving to places like Houghton and Marquette and Mankato a lot next winter. Thank you, sir. Great stuff. Much appreciated. Always.
Always a pleasure. Talk to you later, Jess. So, Dex, let's go back uh, to what Jess talked about there with us about the uh, expansion draft and from the perspective of the Seattle team, which, by the way, we're still waiting for them to have a name. You'd like to see that uh, take place here, but I guess they're going to wait till the pandemic is done, which means in about 2025 we're going to get their name. Um, Jess brought up the fact that he thinks that there might be some differences between what Vegas uh, got as far as their very favorable expansion draft a few years back that helped catapult them to the Stanley Cup final uh, and what's going to happen to Seattle. But Seattle's paying, if I'm not mistaken, 50 million more, 550 as opposed to the 500 that Vegas pays. So they're not going to take a lot of changes because that's a, a huge sum. How competitive do you think they're going to be off the bat potentially? Because there certainly will be more expectation now. Uh, the Golden Knights uh, turn things turn things as far as expectations of expansion teams on its head by what they did a couple of years back. I'm curious, man. I'm curious what that's going to mean for them if Jess is right that the league could come back and be like, hey, we're going to change up the format. So I believe from off the top of my head, you know, it's the 7-3-1, which is the normal format. People have used seven forwards, three defensemen, one goaltender. And I know the other option, I believe, is eight skaters overall and a goaltender. So you can you can pick how you choose. I don't think anyone did the latter method of that when Vegas came around three summers ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am curious if they expand that. So what if you go even eight forwards, four defensemen, even one extra forward, Judd, and one extra defenseman? From the wild side, I, that, that, that's going to make things a hell of a lot easier. Oh, if I'm Seattle, I would go ape bleep. There's no way. And, and that, I'm not paying that, that much to get screwed. Right. And, and, you know, at that point, if you're the wild, the person you're worried about losing the most is like, you know, Carson Susie. you know? Yeah. And then, so he brings up a good point that, all right, where's the medium? All right, so when the Wild and you know Blue Jackets came in, for God's sake, Scott Pellerin was the only good guy you got in the expansion draft. Maybe Darby Hendrickson. That was much older guys, yeah. And then with Vegas, you saw teams basically doing shady deals and giving up on guys that they would honestly would like to protect if there wasn't an expansion draft, but they were forced to because a team was entering the league yep. and you had to give up someone. And then that team goes to the bleeping Stanley Cup Finals in their first year of well, existence. Well, they weren't shady. They were just stupid because they panicked. But if I'm Seattle, I am telling Bettman and the boys, you are going to give me, at the very least, what the Golden Knights got, because I'm not paying $50 million more to get screwed, and I want my pick there. Now, now I would say that if I'm an existing team where I would have gone to school on that is, I would say, okay, just take my guy. Right. I don't like it, but I'm not going to give you two guys in exchange for me keeping my one guy. I mean, go back and do do the Vegas expansion draft again from the Wilds' perspective, Dex. And, okay, let's say you lose Charlie Coyle. Yeah. Okay. Or even if it was just Eric Halla. Just Eric Halla. Yeah, okay. Okay. Yeah. But then he, it, Too bad. Yeah, you gave you literally sweetened the pot and gave up your what at, at the time was your best your best prospect, your best NHL-ready prospect yeah. in Alex Tuck. Yes. Who was just log-jammed because of there was no place to put him in the lineup. So I'm with you. I'm curious if the league, come, like Jess is saying, does the league, can the league come back and say that? And then the subsequent move is, does Seattle say, well, then give us back like 200 of the $560 million you paid to get into the league. Well, that might be. And here's another. So this is, I'm going to throw at you a scenario that's not going to happen to make it very clear. Okay. But I think, I think it's at least worth a conversation and a thought. We are in the midst of a pandemic that is globally ruining a lot of things business wise, right? Um, Pro sports are not going to come back as the norm as far as every team in every league. I think if I have a football team, I'm probably in good shape. Yep. I think if I have a baseball team, yeah, okay. I think. Don't know for sure, I think. 
basketball. Uh, but anyway, my point being is, here's here's a thought that I w- would be dismissed out of hand, but I think is a decent thought. Should Seattle get the Coyotes? Should they get the Panthers? Should they not? Oh. Do you need, do you really need in, in the age of, there, there's no way that you can tell me that at least one, if not a couple teams in the National Hockey League aren't going to be essentially in financial ruins because this is ruining people. No, that's a good point. Honestly, I will give you the good question, good point here right here because this is this is actually a very, a, a topic I think we, that is worth discussing. And no one's talking about no it. No one's talking about it. The assumption is it would never happen. Your le- not just your league, leagues, organizations, companies, and we've even experienced it, are bleeding, are bleeding. Absolutely. So... Are, would it would it be more wise to put Arizona in Seattle? But then my counterpart is if Seattle's buying in to come into the league and they're essentially giving you free money, are they? Are, is that more of incentive? Being it, I'm not an economicist, it'd be a mess. It'd be, it'd a, be mess. a mess. Okay, no, you're right about that. Yeah. So you bring up an excellent point. I I could it might make more sense to take Arizona and move them out, or take Florida and move them out. Man, I, I, but if I have I'm them, curious now. But if if I if they are going to be, you know, let's say the Panthers or Coyotes, let's say the Coyotes because they've just been basically a franchise train wreck for a long time. Yeah. Um, if they're about to fold and I got to move them, do I really want to then bring in an expansion team? And they will because of what you said, the expansion money of five hundred and fifty million dollars is too much. Bettman has done a good job here. There's no way that Gary Bettman is going to find God, though, and be like, you know what? I really care about sports. Um, so that being said, though, I just I don't see any way that you're not going to have two or three teams decks in dire financial straits. And I'm not even blaming them. But, you know, if you weren't drawing or you were struggling before this, how are you going to be doing now? And there is no way that we're going to come back, which is going to be slow, Slowly but surely, there's no way that we're going to come back and I can snap my fingers and everyone's buying tickets again, right? And and every network is investing again. If it's the National Football League, okay, they're probably fine. Right. But across the board, the sports that we follow closest, I'm sorry, not every one of those leagues is going to be fine. And so it just it strikes me in the Seattle case that Seattle is a was a prime territory to move to and to bail out a team um, that now you're basically eliminating that. And and previous to the pandemic, I thought that was potentially, and talked about this, a mistake. But now I'm almost certain it is a mistake. So we'll right. see. So so closing right here, Forbes has, they released their, you know, most valuable hockey franchises in December of this last year. So yeah. these, these are the bottom five. Some of these I can totally see, and some of these there's just no way in hell this would happen. The bottom five mm-hmm. up, so from 31 up, Arizona, Florida, Columbus, Buffalo, Winnipeg. I can tell you right now, Winnipeg ain't going anywhere. Columbus isn't going anywhere. And Buffalo's, Buffalo's not. I don't think they I think would. Buffalo's not. They're, Even they're a mess, but I don't think they'd move. Yeah, their ownership is nuts, but I would be, yeah. well, be I'd be shocked if, if they'd move. So I would say Arizona, and then also at 26, one above, Ottawa. But I don't think hockey in Canada, they're, they're not going to move. They're a mess. They're a mess. That's a good one. But Ottawa could go. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't be shocked at if all. If the Senators don't get a building downtown, they're in big trouble. They're, uh, and that's what Arizona's dealing with, too. Absolutely. So Yeah, the, the guy that owns the Sens, Melnick, is, has his own problems. Hmm. But a problem 
and you're right, the Coyotes share this exact same issue. The buildings in Arizona and, and Ottawa are off the map. They're like way out in the burbs or they're not convenient. And so, yes, Ottawa, if they don't get a building, Arizona and I think Florida are all primed to be in big trouble, big trouble. And I don't know, it just it seems counterproductive to me to take the money and run from the expansion fee and be like, yeah, we got more money. And then turn around the next day and, and have, um, you know, the Coyotes people call me and say, well, you you got that, but we're in trouble here. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a curious thing to watch. I'm I'm excited. You know, hockey players are coming back. I saw Susie and Dubnik and a few others have entered Tria. You know, they're, 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 they're staggering out. Days. Last I, saw, I haven't he heard. Well, reservations you know, about this. they're not they're not allowing media there, but I am guessing they're allowing some type of Zoom media one on ones with, yep. with certain people. I'm curious how they feel, but I know they're staggering out these entries. But then also, it's like, are are you eventually going to have 22 people on the ice? You know, I ugh, I don't know. Oh, man. there's a lot of questions there. Well, right. ho- hockey to me, as far as as COVID nineteen goes, Declan, I don't get it. Like, I don't get how it's going to. And look, I'll watch. But how is it going to work? Um, teammates, golf share pull- problems. Golf as far is as- pulling out. Yeah, the least contact sport imaginable. So how are you going to do this? Great question. And the only sport I've seen so far that I think clearly does not give a damn is football. Right. The National Football League is just like, ah, screw you, we'll play. But hockey, so what happens the first time? And Declan, you know as well as I do, if the Minnesota Wild, if one player gets this, five players are going to have it, right? Six players, eight, ten players. And at that point in time, do you have them forfeit the series, forfeit games? Do you keep playing? Do you stop? I don't get, I don't get what you're going to do. Um, do you not care? Cause you have to care. I, I would think like you got to shut them down until they don't test positive, but yeah, there's a lot of things here. There's a lot of things. So I think in the case of basketball and hockey, at least they're hoping to fulfill their TV contracts for 2019 20 to get that last bit of juice, which sure. is, which is, I'm sure, lots of cash. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if it's realistic that they're going to do it. And, and is basketball going to work in Florida, which is a cesspool right now? Yeah, I like, I understand it's quarantined, but there are going to be people who aren't quarantined going in and out. And yeah, it's a mess. They're going to bail. It's a mess. All right, that will do it. Thanks to our uh, friend Jess Myers from The Rink Live. Great stuff from him. Judd's Hockey Show with a side of Declan. We'll talk to you soon. Fast shoot score. Your dog is more than just your bestie with the cutest face ever. Get to know them on a genetic level with Embark Vet. Developed by veterinarians and PhDs, Embark screens for more than 215 genetic health risks across more than 350 breeds. It's top-notch science for your top-notch pup. Go to EmbarkVet.com and use promo code DNA, that's DNA, to get $60 off an Embark Breed and Health Kit or Purebred Kit with free shipping. That's promo code DNA to save today.